didn't see it coming. The podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiper. I'm a Calgary boy. I was born in the prairies. And one of my first jobs was working at my dad's TV and radio store, selling TVs, radios, stereos. Two doors down from us was another TV and stereo store. This one was run by a fellow named Art Aylesworth. Now, Art and I never hooked up, but um, anybody who's from the prairies and got a start in selling TVs and radios is good in my books. Fast forward just a few years ago, I read a story about an amazing fishing supply brand, and we're going to get into that in a second. This fishing supply brand was called Pete's. And it's an old brand, but it's been made new again. And that caught my eye. What also caught my eye was that Art Aylesworth was the major interest in it. I brought Art aboard today to introduce Pete's, to talk about Pete's, and talk about what he sees as a permanent brand in an age of throwaway culture. Art, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. Now, tell me, let us uh, I was a bit cryptic about what Pete's exactly does. What exactly is Pete's all about, and what was the attraction to you? Uh, Pete's is a bit of a, a legend at the west coast of um, Canada here, in that uh, a guy named Boris Pete's, who was a jeweler, immigrated from Russia to Victoria in 1921 or 22, and he had hoped to get uh, involved in the gold rush as, as a jeweler, and instead he fell in love with fishing and realized that there was no such thing as a purpose-built salmon and halibut fishing reel. Uh, there was little small reels in England used for trout, but there hadn't been anything designed large enough to handle the amount of weight and pull and stress from uh, catching salmon and halibut. So he started around to designing one and released his first reel in 1925 called the Pacific, which was solid mahogany quite a piece of art, which we still have sitting in our showroom, actually. But anyway, so he started making fishing reels, and the entire West Coast glommed onto him, and they were the de facto standard for many, many years. And um, so th- that brand, when I moved out here, was the first fishing reel I bumped into. In fact, I wasn't a great fisherman, but I started to get excited about it, and uh, I bought Pete's from the company itself and um, and watched that old brand um, kind of mean so much uh, – because it was generational. I mean, Grandpa had one, my dad had one, and now I've got one kind of a culture across uh, the people I met here at the West Coast. So I, I really, really love what it does. It handcrafts fishing reels out of mahogany and brass mark, and that's just not happening anymore. That well, 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 and uh, but Pete's, uh, it wasn't always the Pete's that you recreated now. I mean, Pete's had a, a, an amazing brand, but I've worked on a lot of amazing brands that have fallen on hard times. Can you tell me, Pete's kind of lost its luster along the way. Well, the, the um, fellow named Bill Hooson, the wonderful guy who we purchased the business from, he bought it from the Pete's family and made a promise to look after that family brand, and he did. He stuck to the guns of making mahogany and brass uh, reels, and in a time when the market started to uh, receive uh, you know, CNC aluminum reels that were you know, technically speaking, quite slick and all the rest, but maybe with a little less soul, uh, the, you know, he started to lose, the brand started to lose market share. And I think uh, Bill was more interested in the handcrafting and the artisan work than he was marketing and and continuing to expand the brand or to, you know, hold the brand's position. And, you know, there was, there was a time there when everybody moved away because there was better technology to catch fish with. And, um, so, yeah, I, and I can see how it happened, but he also had been there 40 years and probably didn't want to dive back into the beginnings of reestablishing brand with the next generation of guys on skateboards. I get that. He didn't want to do that. 
<laughs> now there's a you used a funny word in your answer. You said it was a fishing reel that had soul. I've been a fisherman my whole life. You have too. Uh, I don't hear a lot of people describe their fishing gear as having soul. What is it about Pete's? Well, because each one is handcrafted, they're all a little different, and they all have they all have a little bit of personality. They have a, you know Pete's famous for its crazy clicker sound when the fish pulls line out, the sound it makes is, it's exhilarating. In fact, uh, they, they, they sold 200,000 clocks with that sound as your wake up alarm each morning. The sound of that line screaming off a reel is so distinct, but interesting. <laughs> they all sound a little different and uh, everyone thinks their sounds the best and people get attached to them and they are. Uh, and also they've, they've, uh, they turn on their owners. They're called knuckle busters for a reason. When a uh, fish takes off, those handles get spinning. If you get your fingers in the wrong spot when you're going in to adjust the drag control or anything, you can get whacked, and we all have been. It doesn't kill you, but it reminds you to pay attention. That's funny. Um, and visiting the Pete's factory, you know, you and I always meet there. Um, you introduced me to the fellow who was actually hand-turning the brass uh, and, and hand-turning the mahogany reel on a lathe. And you said, uh, I mean, really, every single reel is still different because it is a person in your own shop, not at mass produced in China. So technically, every reel is unique. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Everyone is a little bit different. In fact, the, the reels turn into two halves as you make them. You make them, you know, the back half and then the front half and the drum and the pancake, the two halves. They have to actually be married and when you do you can find out that the uh, drums are not all the same because they don't fit the pancake the pancakes are virtually identical because of the way they are processed but when you uh, when you put them together you actually have to fit them and make them go together as a pair mm -hmm. so that's very telling in itself right there that they're all a bit unique yeah now when you got involved if i was an accountant if i was your accountant i would just i would have a headache looking at this business when you got involved what did you see as the future because you are a businessman yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, and I like figuring out. My favorite thing is to, I mean, I really, my, my hobby is woodworking. I like making stuff. I like mechanical problems. I really enjoy that. In, a, in an internet era, I mean, I still really enjoy that mechanical stuff, tangible stuff. So I, it, it drew me in for a bunch of reasons, but what I saw was this. This kind of stimulated me. When I talked to Bill about two years ago, prior to our buying the business, uh, I got asking about how it was going. So we still only sell wholesale. And I thought, based on the numbers he was telling me, I thought to myself, yes, but not very much. Uh, no one's buying much. And then I got to the nut of it all, and I found out that there was one store in on Vancouver Island that was selling more than all the other stores combined for two years running. And I said, really? And it happened to be a store called Sitka, which is a surfboard, uh, handmade surfboard shop that also sold clothing and lifestyle things to it that that demographic of young people. And I went, ah, they get it. They love that it's handcrafted, that it's wood and it's brass and that it's old school. They love it. And um, the hardcore fishermen were still fishing only their aluminum reels and because they're technically so nice, I get it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I thought, well, there's a whole new audience that no one in the fishing industry is maybe addressing. And I like that a lot. So I thought, now they are the entrepreneur and he sees an opportunity. We need to make more in North America. We need to make things that last and it's funny. We need people to actually take pride in what they do. Sorry, Mark. And yeah. I thought, this is a brand that does all that, and it's just a well-kept secret nowadays. Let's fix that. Yeah, because, I, you know, you look at surfers. Uh, it's funny, out here on the West Coast, uh, and I think well, almost everywhere, a waterman, somebody who spends a lot of time on the water, they, they fish, they surf, you know, they go diving. Um, that's just what we do. 
But, uh, you know, it's not one of those things where I'd go, well, why would I go for a, a big clunky reel that's a lot heavier than the aluminum high-tech one? Uh, but then when you get to know surfers, you understand it because they're kind of dialed into nature too. And there's not a whole lot of nature in a Shimano reel. So is that an attraction too with the surfers that they look at this, they feel it, they feel there's a story in each of these wooden reels? I think so. Uh, you know, I, I spoke to a club uh, recently in town in Victoria here at dinner club and it was older gentlemen. And I said, you guys, they said, they kind of asked a similar a version of that question. And I said, well, we all have the luxury of remembering when we were there. This generation wishes they had a chance to have been there because it sounds like it was better. I think every generation sort of mm-hmm. sells the next one on a little of that fact, that reality, if, if in fact it's true. And I think these kids just really want to have a chance to go back and where things were a little simpler and not so who watched the Kardashians last night, which is also frivolous that makes them all feel guilty. Right. And it's a bit like everybody wants to kind of be Hemingway, you know, fishing on the river in Spain. Yeah, I think you're right, Mark, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that I love most about Pete's, when you and I walk around the factory, um, you just tell story after story after story. And as a brand guy, I know that uh, people don't latch on to technology. They latch on to stories. And everybody, especially if they're paying good coin for something, they love to be able to tell people the stories. Tell me one or two of the stories of the product. Hmm. Well, I guess if you think about um, if you think about what you know what Pete sells, you know, it's heart and soul. Is it's uh, if it's mahogany and brass fishing reels, it makes stainless steel fishing reels. Now it's making all kinds of tackle, reintroducing its old fishing rods. But maybe the part that I think I hit you over the head with a little bit a couple of times is that we're also trying to align ourselves with like-minded artisans. Because on a, at this point in my career, I really would like to be a bit of a difference maker in terms of. Re, re-energizing and, and creating a renewed focus on unique artisan products where they aren't mass-produced and bubble-packed and a ton of throwaway, but they're actually, there is a story that goes with, with everything you buy. I would rather see all of us buy two or three things a month and 12 things a month we hardly need. I think you should be more thoughtful, spend more wisely, and spend less. I really believe that. I know that in a, in a consumer society, that's not necessarily what people want to hear, but I believe true. So, for instance, those bonkers, fish bonkers are used to tap the fish on the head and put them to sleep after you've got them if you decide this is the one you're going to have for dinner. Uh, of course, you wouldn't use it if you were planning to release them, but if you were going to take them up for dinner. Well, those bonkers are a guy who lives in a log cabin up in Alaska, and he uh, he hand turns them and carves them for us, and I get a kick out of it because I can tell when he must be getting low on cash because he calls to ask if we need more bonkers, so I always just say yes because I like the guy. <laughs> and, uh, whether we have a few or we don't have a few, I always buy more. And um, He's an example of that kind of alignment. Another guy is Bill Rushton, uh, a wonderful handmade uh, uh, fishing net maker, landing nets up in Prince George. Every one he makes by hand, they are just a piece of artwork. And again, he's just a guy who's a humble guy who doesn't blow his own horn too much. But when you see his work, you go, I don't know anybody who could do this. Like, this is really outstanding work. And so back to Pete's, I think I look at everything we do in there and every single piece of it. Every single way we make something has got a history to it, and that's the stories I've told you. I walk even where we melt down lead to make some weights. The little wires and little pieces that we use in there to make things, those machines were made in the 30s and 40s by a very, very clever tool maker, and we still use them every day today, and they work perfectly. In fact, my 8-year-old granddaughter goes in there, and she does it for an hour or two because she finds it interesting to make those parts repetitively. So anyway... I just love the way it's all so hands-on. Well, you know, one thing that I love about your place, I could come work for you in a heartbeat. It feels like high school shop. <laughs> yeah. It's like high school it's, shop class. It's wonderful. 
Yeah, I, and I think it's funny, you know, when uh, when we bought the business, there was Bill who was you know wanted to retire, and although he hasn't, he still hangs around and likes to be there because I know he enjoys it. And then he had one employee named Dwayne who's been there 18 years. And uh, it's, I really like this a lot that we've now implanted in there. One, two, three, four other young guys all in their 20s and 30s who have brought an energy and enthusiasm. And just like you, just like your comment, they just feel so happy to be there. It washes all over the people that might have been taking it for granted. The other two fellows, I think, really are uplifted by all that new enthusiasm. And it's fun to watch everybody. Um, but you can't help but feel it when you walk in there, I think, because they're all so positive about what they're doing. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I felt the difference. I think uh, it was six months. We we hadn't seen each other in six months. I, I was in the store when you first uh, – the store is, uh, by the way, for listeners, it's out front of the factory. So when you're in the store, you can actually see somebody on the wood lathe while you're buying the reel. But first time I came in, there were a few reels up on the shelf. Uh, looked very much like a, um, a thing that was still about to happen. And uh, when I was there just last week again – the store was gorgeous. And again, it's such a surprise because it's such an unassuming place in the sort of industrial part of Victoria. And you walk in there and you felt like you just, you know, just, you just kicked the diamond in the beach of pebbles. Um, but I, I want to, I want to go back that, uh, to another story. Um, when, when we were uh, in the store, you showed me uh, a special reel, the artist series. And, and those were the, the ones that on the mahogany face actually had Haida carvings. And I asked you how much they cost, and they were a fortune. And then you told me how much you had just sold in the last couple of days. Talk to me about that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, in the world of fishing reels, uh, you can buy fishing reels for, you know, for the type of fishing that we're uh, aiming at for a hundred dollars or one hundred twenty-five dollars. You can also spend a thousand. 700 is quite common, 500 is common. We don't sell any reels over $300. So for hand-carved or handmade reels, they're very inexpensive. But the hand-carved reels are $800 Canadian. For those in America listing, that's about 40% less than that. So it's significantly cheaper in American dollars. But what happened there was that my partner, one day we were talking about carving. I always thought carving the reels was a good idea. And my partner says, well, we had a fellow... Uh, do some uh, some carving at our house, and he's sort of uh, carving royalty on the west coast of Canada. And he's one of the famous Hunt family. His name's Jason. And um, I certainly knew of uh, Tony and Richard Hunt, who were very famous carvers, and their grandfather, Mungo Martin, who did a ton of the carving around the Royal BC Museum, which is the best place I know of to get a real snapshot of all things uh, west coast heritage in the native area. So he does come from royalty. And then I met him and I realized, wow, no, he's that, but he's a gem, a really good guy. So I liked where this was going. He came back with um, a template drawing of half a dozen different designs to go on uh, one of our five inch salmon reels. And, you know, they were all likable, but we chose one. And um, we, first thing we did was made six artist proofs not to be sold, only to be offered up as a gift to auctions that were raising significant money for salmon enhancement or, or environmental restoration projects. And we were, did some homework and realized that certain auctions also had significant matching grants from different levels of government or from high net worth uh, individuals or from corporations who wanted to follow other people's efforts. So we put these into auctions and they all, all six went for between three to $6,000 and generated up to 10 times that much in matching dollars. So, for a little company, we we played a part in probably a couple of couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of contribution, which is way above our weight. But it was it was neat that we were able to leverage it. Well, then after the six were out in the market that way, then we started to release the limited edition of ninety uh, 
signed hand carved reels. And you're right, we've been well, not surprised, but it's been really successful. We've sold over two thirds of them now. That's and, crazy, uh, and it's been quick. It hasn't been a long time. No, it's been about three months, and they've gone real quickly. Yeah. Holy smokes. And this is, I mean, this is from a very, very small distribution base. It's not like you're in Europe. It's not like you're in Asia. It's you're, you're, you're a, sort of a local secret. What's funny, we uh, somehow, uh, Alaskan Airlines called us and asked if they could put that reel in their uh, November issue, which is sort of a novel gift ideas for Christmas. And uh, all of a sudden, we started selling them at Newport Beach, Las Vegas. And I went, uh, I'm guessing that was <laughs> Saudi. Exactly, Hong Kong. It's we crazy. sold some into uh, into um, uh, Poland, Warsaw, Poland. The guy bought three. Wow! So, one person down in Washington State bought five. Wow. Bought you know, three and then two more. And anyway, yeah. The, so the word's getting out. But you're right, Mark. Relatively speaking, we still speak to a very small audience yet, and that's again the marketing and the entrepreneur in me loves that. It means that if we're making good progress now, I think the story will resonate with a much bigger audience. It just takes time to get there. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, I mean you're building the business. It's not like you're hopelessly over leveraged with uh, with expenses. You've got uh, you know you've got your operation. You've got a little bit of distribution. It's not like the bankers are banging on your door every day. So it's something you can afford to do. Now, but one other great story was the story about refurbishing reels. Uh, when we walked in the factory last time, you showed me right up by the front desk were a whole bunch of reels, beautiful reels. I thought they were new, and you said, no, 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 people, guys, bring them in. To get them fixed. And then you and I talked about, you know, me buying a flat screen TV, my kid throwing a sippy cup at it, pops a hole in it, and the thing is ready to be thrown in the garbage with all the heavy metals intact. It's a lot cheaper to throw it in the garbage than it is to service it. But that's not how Pete's works. Tell me about that. Um, I do like that as well. Uh, This is kind of a neat example. You know, uh, at Christmas time, a young fellow, I would say about 20, with his girlfriend came into the shop. And he had a reel that he'd bought in the summer and he wanted us to look at something. He wanted to see if he could make a little adjustment to something he wanted to change on it, which is all fun. He was just fussing over his reel in, in a positive way. So we helped him with that. And then he had this bag in his other hand. And I said, uh, what you got there? And he said, uh, well, he said, I've got some reels I want you to look at. He pulls this bag out and it's his grandpa's reel, his mm-hmm. dad's reel and his dad's brother, his uncle's reel. And he said, I got these out of the boat because nobody's fishing right now. I want to have them all refinished and give them back to them as Christmas presents. They've had them a long time. So these reels get the patina of time. It's really spectacular. They get a look that you just can't buy. It Mm -hmm. It takes time. But when you refinish them, you bring the brass back to a nice polish. And all those scars and bangs and dents on the wood you don't get rid of. You just protect them with a fresh coat of varnish. And, of course, you service the guts of the reel to make sure everything's operating smooth and that clicker sounds the way it's supposed to and all the rest. But when you're done, you've got a reel that's, just as good as any new reel we have uh, in the single action group. And yet it's, you know, these people have owned it forever and they'll spend a relatively small amount of money. We charge them $69 to do that. And when it's all done, you know, they've got a reel that's like brand new. And, and more importantly, they've got a little piece of family history of something that matters to them. Mm-hmm. And it, like I said earlier, it connects generations. And I love that. I just love it. There's, there's never enough of that in the world. So it's great to see it. You know, that's, that's a funny thing. You talk about it not costing very much, and that's entirely true. Uh, and, you know, today a lot of companies are trading on that handcrafted tradition, and they're charging out the wazoo for it. Uh, I think it's a, a wonderful thing that you make this handcrafted tradition normal. 
or affordable at least, something that can compete with a good Shimano reel. You can buy a Pete's reel and you get, it might not be as technically advanced, but it has a whole ton of other stuff and it's going to get you a lot more looks when you're fishing and you've got a lot of time fishing. So you've got a lot of time to look at other people's gear. What is your vision for the future of Pete's? Now I, I, I talked to you and I said, you know, it feels like Patagonia. It feels like Filson. Um, it's one of those things where I could easily see partnerships, you know, where uh, Filson starts carrying your stuff and it starts getting spread through the U.S. Is that something you even want? You know, I got to tell you that I really like, I like selling to the end user. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean never anything else, but I like it for a couple of reasons. Nobody's going to sell your story and your product with the same passion and conviction that you do. And also, if somebody has something less than the experience that they hope for, I like to be in a direct line to solve that. I like that the company can make sure that it's right with people. And I, I really feel that that's, uh, it's just not enough of that anymore. So personally, it's sort of a soft spot in my heart. I like to see people really feel satisfied with what they bought. And by dealing with them more directly, we can do that. So will we do partnerships? Oh, probably. We're doing something now. We're just launching programs where, we're making a very nice little wood, wooden, very small wooden pop-up display out of barn board that looks like it goes with our vintage. And there'll be a couple, of, a couple of sample reels on these. And these will sit in lodges where people, when they go on a fishing trip where they've spent a reasonable amount of money to go, they can have an affordable gift with the lodge's logo on it, maybe engraved in the wood and their name on it, and something to take away. So I sort of see the company finding different ways, novel ways, to reach a broader audience, but not not rushing to build itself up. We went from about 100% wholesale uh, before I took over the business to about 10% wholesale now. So we're 90% either through the store or online sales. And I like selling direct for the reasons I just stated. Now, you, we also talked about that. Uh, when, when you and I were together the last time, uh, I, I play guitar and, um, and I had a problem with my guitar. It's a Taylor guitar. I, I, I've known Bob Taylor for years through the, the whole green world. And so I did one of the most ridiculous things ever. I had a problem with my Taylor guitar. I called Bob Taylor. And that's a bit like going to the Pope because there's no more uh, water in the, in the holy water dispensary in your church. It's crazy. And Bob Taylor picks up the phone right away. And he says, yeah, I'm going to bring this other guy in on it. He's going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. And there I go, the guy who's got this multi-million dollar company, Taylor Guitars, distributed all through the world, is actually rolling up his sleeves and worried about, you know, my little dinky problem on my guitar. And you you jumped right back and you told me a story exactly like that, where you uh, went out and there was a customer who wasn't happy with the way the line was winding onto the reel. And you went out and you went personally that customer. And that's going to be that's going to be a local legend. Mm. Uh, you know, being that I grew up kind of in a, you know, in a small house with a big family, I I kind of like the fact that we make things that are affordable. I'm not saying everybody can afford a $250 or $300 reel, but we I really want for us to be uh, reachable for everybody. I like that. I think that's important. I don't have an interest in making the fanciest tooth. We could try and make a $2,000 esoteric wooden reel that very few and become a bragging rights tool. And I, frankly, that's not what the world need, needs more of. So it's not my thing. I, I'm not saying it's not a great idea for somebody, just not for me. Yeah. But with the service thing, I mean, the, the, your service ethic too, it, it, it makes the, you know, I look at it and I go, it's, um, it, it might not be the cheapest reel because I can go to Canadian Tire and get a cheap throwaway one. But it is one of those ones where when you figure out the lifetime cost of it, 
you keep that thing forever. And because it looks so good, you want to keep it forever. And you want to give it to your kids. And your kids actually want to get it from you. So that, that's, that's a type of value that's really, really hard to put on the balance sheet if you're saying, well, you know, this is why we charge this much. It, 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 but it does make, your, it, does make it a, a definitely a sort of a permanent brand in a time of throwaway cultures. So if I want to I get myself a Pete's Reel and I'm living uh, outside of the lower mainland, how do I do it? Pete's Outdoors, P-E-E-T-Z Outdoors.com. You can go there and we've got a nice website that shows you um, you know, what we have is shows there's videos of how things are made. There's kind of a bit of a journey through the company's past. If you want to read it, it's, hopefully there's lots there for you to enjoy. And if you want more, you can always call the shop and we've got a book that was written about 15 years ago called pizza real for all time. It's also tells the story really in granular detail from the roots of the company. I think that's a good read for anybody that's keen on this sort of thing. Wicked. All right, Art. Thank you so much. Now get to work. Start making some reels. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Really enjoy the visit. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.